just wanted a change in my life, so he came into my life and I made that change happen. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And uh, I'd just like to confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Good morning, 1122. How are you doing? Yes, I love this crowd. You guys have been awake for hours, or some of you just woke up about 30 minutes ago, and uh, it's the best you could do without a shower. That's fine. Um, so, hey, we're excited. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Stone, and I am one of the pastors here at the Church 1122. Um, Joby has been out of town this past week. Uh, he wants me to tell you he was on an official trip with Compassion International which is true, but I need to add to that, his official trip with Compassion International was hunting in South Dakota. And so uh, welcome back, Pastor Joe, he's here. And so, uh, hey, we love you. Welcome back, man. And um, so I get an opportunity to speak, to teach a little bit this morning. I'm super excited. Uh, this is my first opportunity at 1122 to say, hey, student section, how are you doing? All right, I thought it was gonna be better than that, but we'll, we'll work on that, okay? Hey, student section, how you doing? All right, there we go. That was my expectations. And uh, I'm, I'm more than excited to dig into Acts chapter 4, which is where you should be turning right now in the Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, you have two options. There's one in front of you that you can pull out and turn to Acts chapter 4. Um, or if you just want to fair catch it, if you throw your hand up and wave it back and forth, someone will bring you a Bible. And if you don't know where Acts chapter 4 is, the person who brings you the Bible will also turn, it, turn to Acts chapter 4 for you if you need them to. I hope they can find it now. I put them on the spot. Um, people ask us all the time, why do you have so many different ways to get Bibles? Very easy. We love the Bible here. In fact, um, if you don't have a Bible, the one that you just got out of the back of the chair is now your Bible. Or if the Bible you have is a little difficult to read, there's a lot of these and thou's and you're not really sure what thou meanest, then you can uh, have this Bible as a free gift from us. And uh, before we get into the talk, just want to let you know we are getting ready for another round of baptisms. And so if you need more information after the service, uh, you can head to the Connect Center, which is in that back corner, and they'll give you everything you need to know. Let's pray and then let's dig in. Lord, we love you, and God, thank you that you first loved us. And the God, we're not here this morning to impress you as if in our good behavior would cause you to act. But God, we are here this morning compelled by the fact that you love us and that even if we could do good on our own apart from you, that's not what you desire. You just desire our hearts to surrender in humility to your love. This morning as we open your word, God, would you just show us your truth? In your name we pray. Amen. It is week three of this series called Bold. And uh, if you haven't noticed, if you've been with us for a few weeks, uh, we've been walking through Acts verse by verse. If this is your first week with us, we're so glad you're here. If you want to catch up where we're at, coe22.com, you can get all the talks there from the past, uh, past couple months of church. And so we have been walking verse by verse through the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 4. Uh, the last two weeks, I need to catch you up real quick, we were in Acts chapter 3, Here's the story of Acts chapter 3. There is a lame guy. He's been lame uh, all his life, we, we, we imagine, at least 40 years of his life. He's not been able to walk. He's outside the temple. He's begging 
for silver and gold. And Peter and John show up and they go, they go, hey, silver, I don't have any, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I got is better. They go, hey, we, we're not going to give you what you want, but what if we gave you what you needed? And so in the name of Jesus Christ, they heal this guy. And he stands up in this bold exclamation of faith and he's healed, right? So here's what happens when, when, a, when a guy who's been lame for 40 years that everybody knows as the guy, the lame guy that sits by the temple and begs, when he starts walking around, people just show up. They're like, well, what's going on here? We want to know the story. So Peter and John, they go, let's not miss an, an opportunity to have a little church. So they have a little church. They just start preaching the gospel. And the gospel is this, that we were born dead, wretched, black-hearted sinners. Glad you're here this morning. And we were born dead in our sin, not bad. We weren't born sinners. We weren't born mistakers. We were born in sin. We are sinners. We were born dead, unable to do good, unable to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so our Heavenly Father, loving man so much, sent Jesus, fully God, fully man, to the earth, lived a perfect life. And then he paid the debt that we owed. Our sin, we owed a debt of death. And Jesus on the cross paid the debt for us, thus giving us a way to exchange our debt of death for his life. And we were brought from death to life. And that's the gospel. And so Peter's presenting the gospel. We were born dead. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for us. And that's where we pick up the story in verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people. Now, the Greek there is like literally during the sermon, while they were still speaking. So they're still preaching. It's still church, right? It must be a lot like 1122 because they had been going for an hour and nobody left. And so um, if you thought you were here for the 10-minute sermon, sorry. Um, As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. So as they were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the religious people show up. They, they show up and they go, hey, whoa, 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 we're going to time out. You're done. Step off. Let's go. And they begin to bring opposition. Verse 2, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Church, let me just say this. If we are going to do our jobs of proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to want, we're going to see that bold faith. We're going to see those miracles. And it will attract people to hear about who Jesus is. Let me just tell you this. But as we present the name of Jesus, that he came and died so that we all would have hope and we would all be able to have a relationship with God in heaven. Let me just tell you that what always comes with the proclamation of the gospel, almost every story in the scripture, if you trace it and follow it, almost every time the gospel is proclaimed and people can begin to respond, opposition comes. Opposition comes. And here it comes from the religious leaders. See, the Sadducees were this group of kind of aristocratic um, they were the leaders, uh, part of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the ruling, the ruling t- uh, court of the temple. And they had spent all their lives getting to a status quo with Rome. Rome was the invaders. They were the rulers. And the, and the Sadducees spent a lot of their time trying to say, hey, can we just kind of have our temple, our faith, and kind of, we'll do it in a quiet way, and it won't disturb anything. And so 
the Sadducees had done a good job of that. And all of a sudden, Peter shows up and goes, hey, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. And all of a sudden, we have this tension where there's now opposition because power is being eroded, because control is disappearing, because Jesus' influence is, ra- is rising above the influence of man. And I'm just telling you, when we proclaim the gospel, church, it's, the opposition is going to come. Um. So they arrested them, they put them in custody until the next day. I think part of the other reason why all of a sudden opposition shows up here is that the, the message of the gospel is more diverse than one group of people. Like I think part of it was that there was some, that, that potentially if Peter preached Jesus, the status quo of, of the church and its relationship with culture may change. But I think another big piece of it was this, is that from, the, from Acts 1, Jesus said, you're going to be the witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the world. In Acts 2, it starts happening and people from all colors and all backgrounds and all races and all different nationalities, they start coming to proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I think there's a part of the religious people here who goes, whoa, 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 whoa. we don't really want church to change. Yes, we want to change the world, but we don't want the church to change. And really what they're saying is, yeah, we want to be influential, um, but we only want to be influential in the way that it's comfortable. And what happens is, is, is Peter starts preaching Jesus, and, and I just imagine that the crowd becomes diverse. Why? Because all people need Jesus. And, and I just want to say this to, to this church, as we change Jacksonville, you better get ready to become diverse. Because when we, in the name of Jesus, reach out and start loving everyone the same, then this is going to, it's just going to become, hey, that church 1122, they, they don't have, there is no balance. You just show up, whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever your race, nationality, background, your social and economic status, whatever it is. In fact, that church, their pastor, I've heard Pastor Joby say, we're in the business of taking the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor and connecting them in the name of Jesus. And so when we become the church, and as we become the church that proclaims the name of Jesus, this, this room may change, not the gospel, not our approach, not our pursuit of Jesus, but um, it may change in who's sitting on your rows. And so when I say as we proclaim the gospel, opposition will come, I just want to stop for a second and go, heart check, make sure you're not the opposition. Make sure your comfortableness in this building does not keep you from proclaiming the love of Jesus to all people. Verse 4, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. I just wanted to track with you. Twelve disciples. Later in Luke, Jesus sends out 72 of his, of his disciples. Then we find out right around uh, the time where Jesus resurrected and he's moving on. There's 120. And then uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, there's 3,000. And now Acts chapter 4, it says that the, the men, just the men alone, has grown to about 5,000. And, and I want you to see this, that the church, this is the very beginning of the explosion of the church of Jesus Christ. I love it. Here's another thing I want you to see here. Um, Peter got interrupted. Like it wasn't like Peter even got to the altar call. Now as a pastor, and this, this should be the same for you, this takes a lot of my anxiety away. Because Peter didn't even finish his sermon, and we know that like 2,000 men came to know and surrendered their life. Why? Because it's not my job to save you. My job is to go, God, I want to be obedient and say what you want me to say, but I know that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. 
I know that Jesus is the one who is the Savior. And so it, it gives me a lot of comfort. And I just want to encourage you. Guess what? Um, the person that you were going to talk to about Jesus at work, that you're like, I just don't know if I have all the right words. It doesn't matter. It just go and start. Open your mouth, start loving them, and then see what the Holy Spirit does. And so we need all that done by lunch tomorrow, okay? That one guy at school, and you're like, I just don't know what to say. Well, just, I, just start. Hey, my name is, all right? That's where it usually starts, all right? Holy Spirit is moving, and thousands are coming to know Jesus while the apostles are getting ushered into prison. Verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Now, for all of you Bible nerds, just, just a reminder, these are the guys, Annas and Caiaphas were the two guys that kind of led in a lot of the, of the charges and the trials that actually ended up Jesus, putting Jesus on the cross. So that's, I just want you to, these same guys, right? These same cats that are out to get Jesus have now gone to get his followers, Okay. Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and, and why all these names? Because they were real people. And so the Bible is really, a lot of times just stops and goes, can I tell you the historical true aspect? Here it is, there's real people. And all of who were in the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst of them, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? So here's what happens. Uh, the high priest calls together the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was like the high court the ruling council uh, for Jerusalem. Um, it was this kind of, if you think about kind of an arena setting where you'd walk in and they would put the person on trial in the middle and then there'd be the stadium seating that kind of had this bowl, like kind of a, a dome type feel where you would look up and there were 70 uh, religious leaders, like uh, scribes and, and uh, Sadducees and a basic priests and all these people who've been elected to the Sanhedrin. So the 70 most powerful men in, in, the, in the Jewish world. And then right in the middle would be um, a high priest and he would act as the spokesperson on behalf of the Sanhedrin, okay? So this is not like Bible study, this is court, this is trial, right? And they say to Peter and John, they go, hey, um, whose name, who gets credit for this healing? This is the ultimate get out of jail free card. This is the ultimate just say God. Just say the higher power. Do the politically correct thing here and say everybody's creator. And they give them this kind of get out of jail free card because honestly, um, the name of Jesus in first century is about to, it's going to create this division of at the name of Jesus, people surrender and love him and follow him or they become angry and rebel against him. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, Right? That's not right, false. Even today, the name of Jesus creates, we're his follower, we want to be like him, or I can't believe that you're part of that. And so they give him this get out of jail free card. They say, just say whatever it takes to get, to, to, to get out. I was watching the news the other day, and I'm, I'm watching it, and there's this story about this church, and as they're telling the story about the church, the church and the pastor and the staff, they say the name Jesus like a, a thousand times, and then they come back to the anchor, and the anchor goes, man, that was a great story about people's pursuit of their creator. And I thought, no, that's a story about people pursuing Jesus. And there's something about the name of Jesus that just radically changes people's heart, either for surrender or rebellion. And so they give they give Peter this get out of jail free card, all right? And we've been trying to create some of that tension for you, hence the nasty mustaches, right? 
Some of you have shown up and go, oh, did we, is this a cult? What in the world are all these guys? Even the preacher looks goofy. What is going on here? So, so if this is your first week of bold, we just made this challenge. Hey, grow your mustache. Take a picture of it. Share the story. Put it on Facebook. Next week, we're even giving away an award for, I think, just the nastiest mustache, right? And there'll probably be other awards too. But we said, go and tell your story. And we wanted to create this tension where people in your world would go, what's up with the stash, right? Or, or I actually, someone this morning at church said, oh, you're doing the, the no-shave November prostate cancer thing. And I thought, you really haven't been paying attention. Um, but it, it creates the tension where you can go, yeah, no shave November. Or you can go, well, it's something that we're doing at church. Or you can say, hey, you know what? We wanted to just find another way to tell you Jesus loves you. So the goofy mustache is my opportunity to create the tension to now tell you it's not just church. It's not just kind of the bland, culturally okay statements. It is the love of Jesus for this generation. And Peter gets this opportunity, just like all of us do every day. All of us do in our families. All of us do in our businesses. Every day we get an opportunity to, to stay comfortable, to stay culturally okay, to just credit God, to just point to a higher power, or with everything we are, proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. In this moment, he's, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking he's flashing back to Luke chapter 12. And here's why. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 12 says, um, just as Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. He says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels in heaven. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels in heaven. Now, now this isn't, I'm just not just reading scripture because I needed a cross-reference. This is very Important. I want you just for a second let this sit in. Jesus says, hey, here's the deal. If you're willing to, to, uh, to acknowledge the name of Jesus among man, then Jesus says, when you get to heaven and you walk in, I'm going to go, angels, that's my boy. He talked about me all the time on earth, and I'm going to tell you guys about him. Not because he's awesome but, or she's awesome, but because there was a simple surrender to go, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. My life is for Jesus. And then he goes, but if you would deny me among men, then, then I'll deny you among the angels. Jesus says, if you don't have a bold faith to just proclaim my name amongst men who can't do anything to you, then, then why, why would, why, you're not my boy. You're, there is no relationship. There is no surrender. There is no proclamation of the name and the salvation of Jesus. And church, that should weigh on us a little bit. Verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, and the authorities, not if you get called on the carpet, but when, when you get called out, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You fast forward to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit fills you up, swells up inside of you, and you will be my witnesses. And for Peter, it's not if I got called in front of the rulers. It's right now, in this moment, I'm in front of the rulers. And, and let me just remind you, Peter was the same guy a few chapters earlier in the Gospels who told a slave girl, I don't know Jesus. 
And now in front of the very council, the very court that started, started Jesus' path to the cross, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he says to them, rulers of the people and elders, if, you, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man was healed? In other words, he goes, seriously? Come on, man, we're on trial because a guy got healed? That doesn't make any sense. Let it be known to you, to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of a higher creator, no. That by the name of God in heaven, no. But by the name in which God revealed himself to us in man. He goes, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. It's the third time now that Peter's evangelism strategy is, hey, you killed him. You killed him. And quite literally this time, he's pointing at the court that sent Jesus on the path to the cross. And he goes, hey, literally, you, you, you got his blood on your hands. He goes, the name of Jesus Christ, you crucified, you killed him, and God raised him from the dead. By him, this man is standing well. That word well means whole. He is standing whole. His knees and legs don't just work, but this man has been brought back into wholeness. Then Jesus, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Peter goes on to say, hey, look, you, the leaders of Israel, right? The 71 people, the most powerful men in Israel. He said, you were the one when God sent the Messiah to you, you you discarded him and you rejected him and you said, that, and I'm not taking that. And Peter says, that's the same guy that you killed that's now the cornerstone of faith for all of humanity. That's the most important, precious part of the foundation for faith is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one and no other name. There's salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here's what Peter says. Peter says, hey, I hear your question. Your question is, who healed this man? I would like to see your question, give you an answer, and raise it. I'd like to say Jesus healed him, and then I'd like to say Jesus made him whole. And then, Jason, you're not, in case you're missing it, what I would like to say is Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. There is no way humanity finds salvation. There's no way that humanity finds life apart from Jesus. In other words, it's not enough that Jesus just healed this guy. Jesus is way more than that. And he looks at this group of the Sanhedrin, and in this moment, he goes, hey, skeptics, your problem with Jesus healing this guy is much bigger than this guy walking. Your problem is that the way God chose to love humanity and save it, you don't approve of. Whether it be your pride and your arrogance, and whether it be that it's not the way that you think God should move, or you think you need to be part of the solution, he looks around the Sanhedrin and goes, skeptics, here's the deal. Um, you, you didn't bring salvation in fact, you are the one who are responsible for taking the man who is salvation and putting him on a cross. And, and it's, it's still true of us today that we would take, let me just say it this way, we would take the pain and hurt of this world and try to tag it onto why we don't think the way God's working is right. All right? Um, last week, I spent, I spent Halloween um, at, with with Carson Railing. Carson is a five-year-old boy who his dad died in a car accident last April. 
And so me and Blair and Emery went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we went trick-or-treating with Shannon and Carson Rayleigh. Right? My dad, one of the godliest men I know, six and a half years now, has been fighting cancer. And so there, everything in me, is, in the humanity of me, could very easily go, God, you're not working the way I want you to work. And because of the problems of this world, I'm going to grow skeptical of you because the hurt and pain of this world. And here's what God's saying. The hurt and pain is here and it's not going away. But guess what else is here? The love and the salvation of a heavenly father. And there is something in us in humanity that when we grow angry with God, and let me just tell you this, anger with God is not something that scares him. In fact, some of our anger is very well deserved. When family members pass away, when you lose people who should not have died yet according to our rules, when hurricanes hit, when I can just go on and on and on and on, there is some anger that is very well deserved. But when you live in that anger and you take the hurt of this world and you go, because of the hurt of this world, the love of God isn't true, Your problem is this, that God loves you even in your pain, and yet there's something in our human nature that goes, no, I can can get out of this one. I can fight my way out of this one. In fact, part of my fight's gonna be against you, God. And the truth is this, is that there is no salvation. There is no life except for in the man of Jesus Christ. I love that we're a church that atheists show up to every single week. I don't know if I get it, but I love it. I love the fact that atheists and agnostics and skeptics, they show, y'all show up every week. You're, you're here. I don't know what you're doing. I know what the Holy Spirit's doing, and I know what you need to get ready for, and it's good, right? But I don't know what you're doing. And I, and I just want to say, we're so excited we get to be that culture. But when your skepticism of religion begins to bleed into the reality that God may or may not exist, what you're doing is taking the problems of the world. You're taking our arrogance and pride as human beings and trying to project our brokenness on a perfect God. And so Peter says, hey, look, it's not not enough. It is not enough to say that this man healed, that Jesus healed this man. Yes, he healed him. He fixed his knees. He fixed his legs. But he made him whole. See, this guy is the perfect picture of so many stories. Of It was not enough just to give you what you think you wanted, but God gave us what we need. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. We see what they saw in them was was that this, this Peter and John really... They should not have been leading a movement, right? Which brings great comfort to Pastor Joby and I because we, we, a group of other men and women are, are a part of this leading this church. And we think, well, if Peter and John, uh, if people question them, then, then we're just, we're in the right company, right? And uh, if you don't know Pastor Joby, he's from Dillon, South Carolina. And if you haven't made it there, you just haven't driven far enough down the dirt road, okay? You just keep going when it goes from a two-lane dirt road to a half-a-lane dirt road. You're almost in Dillon. Um, and I am, uh, I grew up all kind of around, around Georgia, but I, I went to middle school and high school at Effingham County High School, right? And you're right, it sounds exactly, it looks exactly like it sounds. It's a half a syllable away from a cuss word, okay? <clears throat> like, grow, like, when I got to college, people were like, where, you want to go home this weekend? I was like, yeah. We start talking about where I was going. They're like, well, I, or, I ordered the turkey, not the Effingham. And I thought, really? That, oh, wow. Yeah, that's where I'm going, right? 
<clears throat> and so uh, just, just let me tell you how common it is, right? It's just a common place. Um, in fact, they're, they're at least four or five decades behind the rest of the world. I got there in seventh grade, and we go to the high school football game. My dad was a youth pastor, so it was, one, it was what we did on Friday nights. We went, and uh, my dad even sat through halftime and listened to the band. That's how much he loved his students, right? You know, when, uh, if you're a band member in here, you're going to come up and punch me later, but that's okay. All right, nobody came to the football game for you. Um, so here's the deal. We would sit there, and I remember during pregame, right? I would remember... It was awesome. It was high school. It was South Georgia. It was great. And then, and then all of a sudden, on the, uh, the drums, you hear Dixie. And the only time I'd ever heard Dixie before is when I went and saw my uncle uh, reenact a war, right? We still lost it, but we reenacted it anyway. Um, and I was like, well, that's not, that's not good because when I remember that, there were, no, there were no black people at that event. And at this one, um, they were the section over, right? There was all the honkies, and then next to them, all, all the brothers and sisters. And, and I'm sitting there going, Last, this is not going to end well. And, and then I look up, and I, 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 swear, I swear to God, an African-American, a black linebacker, the, the star linebacker, comes running out of the tunnel, waving the Confederate flag. And I'm thinking, what did, where did God send us? What is going on here, right? But, so here's the deal. When I read uneducated common men, I go, I know some of them. We're in the right place. And I also say that, I, I want you, church, I want you to know that, that there's no other reason besides the grace of Jesus Christ that this team and this staff should be leading this church. All right, I just want you to know that. We don't think we got it together. In fact, we know we don't, right? And we are honored and humbled to be able to lead you guys um, just by the grace of Jesus Christ and not our titles or education because we'd be in a, in a hole if that was what we were, were banking on. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, five times in the book of Acts, this word bold, the bold parasa is used. It's a Greek verb, and it's, it's, it's the same word for boldness. Um, and every time it shows up, verses before it, in Acts, it says, and the Holy Spirit filled someone up. And so over and over again, we see that this boldness comes from the movement or the inspiration of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, common Normal people stand up and go, Jesus. Uh, in fact, this time, Peter is now teaching, literally, he's teaching the people that killed Jesus. And so there's this boldness about him. It said he was uncommon, he was uneducated and uncommon, which really just simply means this. He didn't have the right schooling. He wasn't ignorant or dumb. He just didn't have the right schooling. He hadn't been to rabbinical school. He was common, which meant he didn't have titles. He wasn't, he wasn't a doctor. He wasn't a rabbi. He was a fisherman. He, had, he didn't have any titles or credentials. And what they noticed was that he was bold, even though he shouldn't have been. And here's why. They recognized he had been with Jesus. His boldness had nothing to do with his education or what he knew or what he had seen or what he had been a part of. His boldness was simply he had been next to Jesus. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Let me just tell you, if you're ever brought to trial because God used you to heal someone... Uh, just bring that person in, and then that's good evidence, right? Like, hey, that dude, he used to couldn't walk, and now he can dance, right? All right, boom, case closed. All right, verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident. In your Bible, just underline and circle the word evident. There are, there are credits of our faith that go that you guys are just blindly following some dude named Jesus and some people made up some stuff and you blindly follow. Well, no, it was evident. There's 
evidence. And what was evident was this, is that to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we can't deny that that man was, was lame and now he can walk, right? You know how you discredit this? Well, when, they said, when, when, the, when the Sanhedrin says that guy couldn't walk and now he can, if it wasn't true, some people in Jerusalem would have made a big to-do about it. There was not any type of counter-argument. Why? Because you can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further, verse 17, among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. Here's what they say. We can't deny that guy was healed. You're saying it was in the name of Jesus. We cannot deny that Jesus is real and that Jesus is changing lives. So instead of denying it, we're just going to cover it up. Now, historically, this has not worked well. If you look at countries who have tried to cover up the gospel or suppress the gospel, typically throughout history, those countries have been the area where the gospel is the fastest spreading. Why? Because when you try to suppress the hope of Jesus Christ and opposition, what you do, and you, and you lord over people and tell them what they can and not talk, can and cannot talk about, and, and you begin to press into them their money and their livelihood and their families, what happens is people become desperate for hope, and it's when people are desperate for hope that the giver of salvation looks most approachable. And here's the reason why, and I, I just want to be honest, in our culture today here in, uh, in America, especially where we're at, in the safest part of America, in the safest corner of the world down here uh, in, the, in the Bible Belt, right? And it's very comfortable to pursue Jesus. In fact, many of us honestly pursue him on Sundays and then like ask him to stay at the house the rest of the week. It, it's so comfortable in our pursuit of Jesus that we are not actually as desperate for him as we realize we need to be. And so the reason why I think the gospel is so hard to spread here is that people are just comfortable and the need for hope the desperateness of their life is not reality and so they go hey we can't deny it let's cover it up let's just let's just do this let's just cover up the gospel and those who need hope maybe they won't find out about it and we can control maintain our power and our control and you know what happens church explodes gospel explodes right Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's what happens. This Sanhedrin says it is now illegal to talk about Jesus in Jerusalem. They, give, they hand down the verdict. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or whether then, listen to you rather than God, you must judge. Peter goes, hey, look, here's the deal. You can judge me. Peter hears what they say. They go, hey, we're going to give you this verdict. We're going to give you this judgment. There is going to be some type of punishment or consequence if you keep talking about Jesus. And Peter goes, okay, that's your job. Judge me. I don't care. And he goes on in verse 20 to say, um, but I, I, can't, I cannot speak, I cannot help but speaking of what we have seen and heard. So Peter goes, hey, here's the deal. Um, you tell me I can't, and you are going to be the one who judges. Can I or can I? That's fine. Bring your judging on. But Peter goes, I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do anyway. He says, look, I, I can't help but talk about Jesus, and so I just want to kind of give you a disclaimer. Judge me all you want. And I love the fact that this decision for Peter had already been made. Peter had already decided, if they tell me not to speak about Jesus, then I'm just going to go, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. 
And my hope and my prayer for us as a church is this, is that we would already predetermine, you know what, my life about Jesus. Not even about the socially okay, culturally okay, God, higher power. Now, is, is God worthy of our praise? Absolutely. But God revealed himself in the man of Jesus and dwells in the believer in the Holy Spirit. And to pursue part of the Trinity without pursuing it all is futile. And so Jesus is the name by which just is the dividing line. And so let me just say this, business leaders, my prayer for you is that you make a decision that, you know what, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to run this business. And there are going to be businesses who judge me and will not partner with me. And there are going to be customers who say, you know what, because of their stance in the name of Jesus, I don't want to be a part of that. But would we predetermine that my business is not going to stand for culture, comfort, it's going to stand for Jesus. Let me just tell you, the holidays are coming up and I want to challenge us. What if you began to live your life amongst your family, especially the like, the moms and dads, the grandmas and the grandpas and the in-laws, right? What if you began to live your life for Jesus in such a way that said, you know what, I'm gonna have family members judge me as crazy, but I'm gonna live in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna parent in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna be a student in the name of Jesus. I'm, there's students, if you approach your schoolwork in the name of Jesus, you're gonna stand out, right? When the answers start getting passed around and you go, no, no, I'm doing this homework as if I was doing it for Jesus, it's going to get weird. You don't want the answers? No, I know the answer, so I don't want your answers, right? And when we begin, uh, people who are dating, when you begin to treat your significant other in a manner that pursues purity because of the name of Jesus, you are going to end up in relationships, and I promise you, you're going to end up in relationships that are going to end because the, you're pursuing purity, and they're pursuing something else. And so would we just predetermine as a people of Jesus to go, I don't care if you judge me. In fact, I anticipate you judging me. I anticipate you thinking things of me that are not true, but I, I'm not gonna fold to your pressure. I'm gonna be obedient to Jesus. Peter, Peter and John go, we're gonna talk about what we have seen and heard. Um, I think for two, primarily, two primary reasons. Number one, uh, Peter and John had to talk about what they had seen and heard because it had actually happened. Like Jesus had actually walked the face of the earth. Like Jesus was a real person. And let's just be honest, as humans, we love talking about what actually happened. If you don't believe me, just go back to the timeline on Facebook, look at Wednesday and all the comments on politics, right? We like talking about what happened. Some of you at the end, when we respond, you need to come and just repent for what was on your Facebook wall. And we'll just leave it there, right? Peter and John had to talk about what happened. Why? Because it actually happened. How do you know? Well, there was eyewitnesses. Let me, let me just run you through this list. Um, Jesus' mama, Jesus' mama believed that Jesus was the son of God. Now, my mama, she's pretty sure I hung the moon, right? But she's also very certain that I am not God, right? If we brought her up right now and I told her, hey, mom, tell these people how I'm the son of God, she'd go, no, your dad's name is Craig and ain't neither one of y'all God, Right? Oh, cool. Now, some of you parents, you think your child is God, and that's a whole other series, okay? Maybe some one-on-one -on -one counseling, all right? Well, I, so everybody's mama loves them, right? If your mama doesn't love you, then, then you need, you're going to need some counseling somewhere, and that's okay. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, how about Jesus' brothers, right? 
James and Jude, right? They, they ended up writing some scripture. Well, in John chapter 7, they're standing outside this house going, bring Jesus out. He's a nut job. He's possessed. Bring him out. We're going to take him home, right? Like crazy Aunt Sally, we got to get him home. He's got problems. Well, by the end of the gospel and the end of the writing of scripture, they have not only said Jesus is who he says he is, but they had surrendered their life to him to the point that the Holy Spirit led these two men to write books that, that, that just prove the existence of Jesus. If my little brother told me he was a son of God or that he was God, we would call, we'd have him Baker acted, and I'd see him when he got out, right? If my little brother tried to convince me he was superior to me, I would prove him wrong by one punch to the nose, right? Superior to this, wham, and I'd knock him out, right? My brother is not the son of God. And I'm, I'm, I mean, he's a godly man, but I ain't writing no book about him. How about the disciples? Each disciple gave his life. And in giving his life was claiming everything Jesus said is true. They were, they were called before ruling counselors over and over again and go, hey, you either, if you claim Jesus, you're going to die. And they would go, we can't deny the reality of Jesus. And they gave their life. I'm not giving my life for something I'm not 100%, 100% certain of. And how about the eyewitnesses? From the time that Jesus came out of the tomb until he ascended, there was eyewitness after eyewitness. There was women at the tomb. There was the disciples. There was the couple on the road to Emmaus. Over and over and over again, these people go, we saw Jesus. Now, the eyewitness without the empty tomb is hallucination. To say we saw Jesus and people are like, no, he's still in the tomb. Well, those people just got hallucination problems, right? Or the empty tomb without the eyewitness is just, it's just theft. Somebody stole his body. But the tomb is empty. It still is. And people eyewitnessed and they saw Jesus and there was proof that the empty tomb was real. How do you trust the Bible? Well, I can't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to twist your arm and convince you of this, but here's why I think the Bible's trustworthy. It's the way that we kind of trust uh, text throughout history. It's the way we uh, build our history books. We go, how many manuscripts were there? Um, How many eyewitnesses were there? Um, How many... Uh, how many years between when the manuscripts were found and when they were written? There's certain parameters. And so here's the deal. Everything we know about Caesar, who lived from 100 to 44 B.C., we found the manuscripts we found in 900 A.D., right? For those of you who struggle with math, that's about 1,000 years. And we found 10 copies, right? So everything we know about Caesar, we, we we're basing on these 10 copies that really had about a 1,000-year gap between when they were written and when they were found. Aristotle. Right? Everybody loved learning about him, and then we got him and all the other Greek people mixed up, and we don't know who said what. Um, Aristotle from 384 B.C., uh, manuscripts about his life were found in 1100 A.D. That's about 1,400 years of gap. And then uh, there's 49 copies. So we just take at will, yeah, 49 copies, 10 copies. Yeah, that's good. We'll put it in our textbooks. We'll send it to schools. Everybody will believe it. That's fine. Well, can I just tell you the overwhelming proof of the Bible? It was written somewhere between 50 in 90 AD, so between kind of right after the, uh, the death of Jesus and through the time where the apostles and those who, who had been with Jesus had, had, were still alive. The first manuscripts were found in 125 AD. That's about a 35-year gap. Let me tell you about that gap. People were still alive. Jesus died. They were writing it. People were still alive, and they could go, no, that's wrong. I was there, or uh, that's not true, or, or that's, you kind of made that one up, but, here, but no one did. Right Now here's how we know nobody uh, discredited it because um, now we have found 24,000 manuscripts of the Bible. You want to talk about trustworthy? There's a 35-year gap and 24,000 manuscripts running around. There was plenty of time for people to go and that's made up. 
right? And, and just because we knew, just because God knew that, uh, that um, the Da Vinci Code was coming and that we would make up all kind of reasons of why the Bible had been manipulated, uh, 1947, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was an additional 600 copies of manuscripts that affirmed what we hold as our Bible today was the same Bible that was held as the Bible between 168 A.D. and 233 A.D., right? This is trustworthy, right? Over and over again, authors, in fact, we've got a lot of this stuff online at COE22 backslash bold, a whole document, extra books to read, all kind of stuff. They're, they're, authors have even set out to, to discredit that Jesus was real. Lee Strobel was one of them. Now, Lee Strobel, he set out and he said he's an atheist. He was going to discredit Jesus. He spent two years trying to discredit Jesus. And you know what happened? The man, he got to all the evidence and he surrendered his life to Jesus and now writes books like The Case for the Christ, The Case for the Creator, The Case for Faith. And he was um, an atheist trying to disprove that, that Jesus existed as the Messiah and now is one of the leading apologetics in the world, right? Another guy named William Ramsey said this from 1900s, right, from Great Britain, right? Um, was the expert of the Greco-Roman world in Asia Minor in the first century. He had nine doctorates, Right? That's pretty smart, Dr. 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 Ramsey. And they knighted him. They, they, gave, they made him a, a knight of England because of his contribution. So now he's like, sir, Dr. 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 Ramsey, right? Um, he set out to, to disprove that Luke was real. Had all the historical background. He went on this journey to prove Luke is not true. He walked through all the ancient worlds. He went through all the different places that Luke talked about in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He comes back to England. He goes, Look, there's, Luke is the greatest historian ever, and there's no way to discredit the story of Jesus. In fact, I'm surrendering my life to him, and he became one of the leading apologetics of the early 1900s, over and over again. And I go through this whole list, but I don't have time, so coe22.com backslash bold. You can go get that list yourself. So here's the truth. Here's the truth. There is, there is, you, we, could, we could talk all day about facts and evidence and in all honesty, I don't, I don't know if I could twist your arm into surrendering your life to Jesus. It's not really my job anyway. I'm, I'm just the deliverer. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to do the work. And, and, and in all honesty, I think what set Peter and John apart was not that he had seen and heard something. Hundreds and hundreds of people had seen and heard Jesus during his ministry. I think what set them apart was they had experienced something. Here's what I mean. I know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, Right? If you get a high school degree from Effingham County, you learn a lot of stuff. I know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, right? I, I'm never compelled to talk about him. Why? I never encountered him. That man never radically changed my life. So here's why I think that what sets Peter and John apart is this. Not only did Jesus actually walk the earth, they actually encountered the living presence of God. Verse 13 says they were astonished because they had recognized they had been with Jesus. Astonishment comes from proximity. Not personality. Astonishment doesn't come from, wow, that guy's got it together. That guy has the answer. That girl is real smart. She's real sharp. True, lasting astonishment doesn't come from your personality. It will always come from your proximity. Who are you around? And for Peter and John, what made them so attractive, what made, them, what made people so astonished at their boldness was not their skills it was their savior. And, and let's just be honest. The issue in our day is not a lack of knowledge. 
Like in our culture, in our America that we live in, um, if you, no one ever goes, I don't know, I wonder what that stands for. I wonder what that means, right? You're driving down the road, you see a semi-truck with some type of element on the side. You don't go, I, I don't know what that means. While you're driving, you pull Google up and you almost kill me and you, you, you Google it and you figure out what it is. We live in a, in a society that information is not the issue. Right? The issue for us is not knowledge of truth, but intimacy with the one who is truth. Our, our issue today is not we haven't seen enough or heard enough. We can't find the answers. Our, our, our issue today is that we don't pause long enough to be intimate with the one who is truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus described himself this way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus says, look, you can get all the answers. You can spend all your life pursuing facts and knowledge. But what it boils down to is knowing Jesus is the way that we know truth, that we know the Father. I have three minutes left. Some of you are like, I don't know, verse 3, we were already there. All right, calm down. (laughs) The issue in our day is not a knowledge of truth. It's an intimacy factor with the one who is truth. What set Peter and John apart was not what they had seen and heard. It's not what they had experienced. It wasn't the fact they had shown up to all the right church events. What set them apart was that they, they knew Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And can, let me just for a second say, some of you this morning, you are at a point in the beginning of your faith journey where what you need is to know the truth. What you need is to do the fact checking. You're so ready to surrender your life to Jesus and you're, you're just kind of wrestling with, is it trustworthy? Is it worth it? Is it worth everything I am towards? And let me tell you, Pursue like crazy, but if your pursuit of Jesus stops with a pursuit of facts, you're going to miss Jesus. If you're running after the truth, the Savior of the world ends with knowing more about religion, you're going to miss Jesus. And let me just warn you, some of you who are in this room, you've been a follower of Christ for a long time. And let me tell you that now that Jesus has brought you from death to life, he does not need your pursuit of knowledge to get in the way of your desperation for him. And I speak as one guilty of that. It's very easy for me to take this book of the Bible and pursue it and read it for a handbook for life. It's very easy for me to take this Bible and go, what is it about me that God wants me to know? What is the, what's something I need to know to try to be a better version of me? And what this, what this book right here is a story about the person of Jesus Christ and a constant reminder that I am desperate for him. And when I read this, it's not a checklist of morality. It is a reality of the fact that I was dead and I'm alive and I did nothing to become alive. And so in my life, it is not, I gotta be a better version of me. It's I need an encounter with Jesus. I need intimacy with the truth. And so, honestly, here's where we're at this morning. Some of you are on that verge of surrendering, and in just a moment, we're going to respond, we're going to stand, and if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then what I want you to do is you're going to go back to that room. It's called the Connect Center. There's some loving, godly people back there who just want to talk and pray with you. If you've got any questions, you're free to go back there, right? But, but here's where most of us are at. Most of us who who have kind of been on this pursuit of Jesus, 
And I say most, it's a generality, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm assuming that where a lot of us are is this, is we have been pursuing the things of God. And we might have missed God. We've been pursuing knowledge of the truth, and we have missed intimacy with the truth. We have run after just fact after fact after fact, or good deed after good deed after good deed. And let me just tell you, it's not what you've done, it's not what you've seen, it's not what you've heard, it is who you have been with that changes everything. And so we're praying for boldness, We're wanting God to swell up, the Holy Spirit to swell up in us. Let me tell you, boldness isn't growing a mustache. Boldness isn't attending church. Now, it is very important for us to gather, but we gather because the Spirit swells up in us and says, look, it's it's important to be a part of the community. But it is not what we're doing. It's not what we know. This gospel of Jesus Christ is that you were dead and now you're alive. It's that you are dead and that Christ wants to bring you to life. And so what we're going to do as we respond and end this morning, it's not going to be a response of, here's three action steps and come and sign this box, check this box, and it's going to be this. Just going to open some time for us at the altar and open up some time in this room for us to respond and spend some time with Jesus going, I've pursued the bride and I've missed you. I've run after good deeds and I've missed the good shepherd. I've run after more knowledge and more truth and I have missed the one who is truth. I've run after so many things that I thought would make me better and I've missed the fact that I'm dead and I need a savior. So I want you to stand your feet and I'm gonna pray for us and then we're just simply gonna have a time to respond to the truth. Father God, I know right now, even in this moment, you are stirring some people's hearts to surrender to you. And I pray for boldness, just even in this moment, to just move to that Connect Center and, and have a conversation that will change eternity. And God, I pray right now in this moment that what we would do, Father, is that we would still ourselves and silent ourselves and not try to figure out what we can do to be better or what the good deed is or what's next. Or, but God, could we just, like a little child, could we crawl up in your lap? Could we... Um, could we just fall onto the shoulder of Jesus and just be embraced by his love. God, well, we don't, we don't need more knowledge. We don't need more good deeds. We don't need more. We don't need to see more. We don't need to hear more. God, we just need you. So God, in this moment, in this place, would your presence just be reality? In your name we pray.
And we're going to end just a little different this morning. Um, I just want to offer an opportunity. Um, if you need to confess that, hey, um, in reality, Ryan, yeah, I've run after knowledge and I've missed the truth and I've, I've run after church. I've been so busy trying to be good. I have missed Jesus. In reality, I'm just, in a, I'm just dry. I'm just in a dry season of my faith where my pursuit of the one who is the living water, I've pursued just so many good things, so many God things, but I've missed the pursuit of God. Um, just as an act of confession, would you, if you're there, would you just raise your hand and just openly confess, I'm dry because I've been running after things that look good but are not Jesus. I've been running after um, the church and I've missed the Savior of it. And here's how we're going to end this morning. Um, for those of you who have your hands raised, uh, somebody next to you is just going to grab you and just on the shoulder and, or wrap their arm around you. And just for a moment, um, as a church, we're just going to pray. And then I'm going to step back up in just a second and close us. So um, church, find somebody with their hands up and just wrap your arms around them and just pray that God would renew the joy of their salvation. confess we are a people obsessed with our good works and God in reality they did not make us righteous only only life the only life comes from the name of Jesus and a surrender to that God I pray for our people as a whole God that we would not pursue the things of you and miss you that we would not try to um, increase our knowledge and miss the truth miss Jesus who that knowledge is about God, would you renew in us the joy of our salvation and, and God, just your steadfast spirit in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, we love you. If you need us, we'll have some pastors and staff down front. And as always, our Connect Center in that back corner uh, will help you get connected with us as a body. Love you guys. See you next week.